It's March already. Are you ready to do your taxes? Should be no problem this year, right? No strange expenses, nothing unexpected, nothing financially out of the ordinary. Right. I'm going to guess that at some point this year, if you or anybody you know took advantage of some of the COVID relief programs that were rolled out by governments last spring, you wondered what that would mean come tax time. And now here we are. Anecdotally, I have heard for the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit alone, no less than four different versions come tax season. Some people would have to pay it back, but only those people who made over a certain amount. And that's only net income, not gross. Or else, no, nobody will have to pay it back. You won't get in any trouble at all. And on and on it goes. I can only imagine small business owners who had to close for a time and may now find themselves navigating taxes for three or four different subsidies. This is a march like never before. Tax returns will be wildly different and the experts are really, really busy. But we bugged one anyway. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Shannon Lee Simmons is the head of the New School of Finance, an organization that helps Canadians plan financially and, of course, do their taxes. Hello, Shannon. Hello. How are you these days? Are you, uh, are you a little busy? Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, so last week is like this magical week where it's RSP season still. So before the de- the March 1st deadline this year, but the CRA also is open for tax season. So you have this like unicorn week, but you know, I'm grateful for it when it's all over. <laughs> We're going to talk about the very specific logistics uh, in a moment because that's why we booked you. But also, yeah, in general, how does it feel? Because one of the things that that I'm experiencing and maybe other people are as well is, you know, you spend years filing, if you're lucky, a similar tax return every year and you kind of learn the ins and outs of the deductions that work for you and what you're required to report and et cetera, et cetera. And now there's just like stuff you'd never heard of until 10 months ago um, and you're wondering what that means. Yeah, and I think there's something – not off-putting, but unsettling about that for clients too, right? So not only are people in the financial industry dealing with this as far as um, being experts on new programs, which carries its own weight, but then also you have um, people from all walks of life that are now having this this disruption to the normal routine of tax season. And tax season is, is freaky enough for people as it stands. And I also think that um, you know, with SERB uh, and whatnot last year, a, most of the time it was self-employed people who wouldn't have qualified for regular EI. So you have a group of people who are self-employed who are already a little nervous mm-hmm. around tax season. And now you add this additional layer of anxiety or stress around it and um, uncertainty after a full year of uncertainty. And so I, I, I do think that it it does take its toll on people. And that's why I feel like this is an especially overwhelming year for everybody, not only people in the financial industry, but also for clients. Well, let's start uh, maybe then with the CERB, because 
over the past year, I've heard at least four different explanations thrown my way of what it would actually mean come tax season. You know, there was an income threshold where I'd have to pay it back or someone would have to pay it back. There was uh, people who were going to just take the whole thing and the government wouldn't make you worry about it. Then there was the difference between net income and gross income. And like, I I feel like there's a lot of rumors circulating and nobody knows uh, what the clear policy is. Yeah, so so the big thing about um, CERB that we're dealing on this land was like, what? how does it work at tax time? And do I have to worry about paying it all back? Like, those are the questions du jour, if you will. Those are the questions I'm getting every single day. So let's let's take a person who who genuinely did qualify for for CERB last year. Uh, anybody who did qualify for CERB last year, you would have gotten $2,000 per month or $500 a week. Um, for a certain period of time. And so up to about $14,000. And none of that was taxed. I think that's really important to know. And that's different than EI, like the regular employment insurance program here in Canada, which usually taxes somewhere around 10 to 11%, which is not usually enough, but at least it's something. Um, and so they, there was just $2,000 that would just drop in your bank account. And, and so what was unusual about that is anyone who may have had previous experience before the pandemic with a government program such as EI, you might have been anticipating already a little bit of that tax paid, but but you didn't. So what'll happen is at tax time, let's say that your income in January and February was $5,000 a month before deductions or, or something like that. So you would have had $10,000 of employment income and your employer would have taken off the proper deductions. Or if you're self-employed, you would have had $10,000 worth of revenue and then maybe some expenses that you have and you might've been putting money away for your taxes. And then you have this period where you just earned, let's say $14,000 of CERB and you had no other work um, you were either like you, your business dried up or you just had no other income. You didn't even work that thousand dollars that eventually became allowed. Then that $14,000 is just going to be tacked right on top of that $10,000 that you earned in the beginning of the month. Now here's where it gets interesting or scary or tricky is that let's say that business picked up again. So let's say you're a self-employed, you know, freelance something, journalist, writer, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was this moment of everyone took this, oh my gosh, and spent no money. And then all of a sudden people started spending money again. Businesses started spending money in September and things picked up. So you didn't necessarily need to lean on those programs, but now you have, you know, $5,000 on average for September, October, November, December. Well, that's, well, that's $20,000. So we've got $10,000 from the beginning of the year. And now we've got $20,000 from the end of the year. So we're sitting at 30. And now you're going to tack that $14,000 on top of that. So you're looking at $44,000 worth of income. If that makes sense, I'm trying not to get too, too numbersy, but like it, it basically gets added right on top of your income. Right. And so you're going to pay a rate. You're not going to pay the full $2,000 back if you were eligible. You're going to plunk that in, and that is your, that's going to dictate what tax bracket you're in, and then your effective tax rate is going to be calculated off of that. So it'll be a portion of that that will be payable. So if you're in a super high tax bracket, maybe you're paying it back at you know 28, 30%. If you're in a super low tax bracket, maybe at 20% of that 14,000. So it's all relative. There is no black and white answer. That's why it's confusing. That is confusing, but that's a really simple way to explain it. And so then you'll pay tax on whatever percentage of that. your total income qualifies you for. That's right. And there's actually, um, if you just go into like a search engine and plunk in like income tax calculator Canada, um, 
you'll be able to find one that you can probably, you know, put in your province, put in the amount of employment income that you had. And if you use your T4, if you're an employee, you can use your, or if you were an employee before, um, you can see right on it um, in box 22, uh, how much, how much income tax is taken off and you can plunk that in. So how much tax you've already paid on the employment income that's in box 14 of your T4. And then there's, there's usually, you can just add right on, it says other, or it might even be um, customized this year to say Serb. And then you can plunk that, you know, however much Serb you got on there. And it'll probably come out with a, with an answer. I mean, now the tax season's open, um, it may be easier to just do your taxes and do it yourself, like as you're going and you can see it in real time or talk to your tax preparer about it, but that's how it's working. So it, it, the more money you made outside of the months that you were on CERB, the high, the more tax you're going to repay on it because the higher your tax bracket. That seems fair. And I can tell you're an expert because you know the boxes. That is really the the total seal of approval. It's so dorky. I even know the CRA numbers off by heart like it's the 90s and I don't have a cell phone. I, I, I like I can recall them in my sleep. It's very nerdy. I'm very sorry. <laughs> it's amazing. That's why we call it literally why we called you. Okay, then. Um, that explanation seems pretty simple and and honestly understandable and fair to me. But then why are there so many Canadians walking around or were uh, before the end of the year terrified that they're going to have to pay the whole thing back? Right. Okay. So there was a bunch of different eligibility requirements um, that eventually became very, very, very clear, which was, you know, you have to be residing in Canada over 15 years old. And here's the, you know, you didn't voluntarily voluntarily quit your job or anything like that, but, um, and you, and you can't be eligible for regular EI. So this is for a lot of the self-employed people out there. And here was the big, here was the big kerfuffle that happened last year. You had to have had at least $5,000 worth of gross income in 2019 or the 12 months before the date of your application. So like basically leading up to the point where you needed it. Now I remember this like it was yesterday, in the mayhem and chaos of spring of 2020, I had clients asking me all the time, you know, am I eligible? All my self-employed clients, am I eligible? Um, and that $5,000 tripped up some people. And I'll give you a really concrete example of who, because there, there are people out there, are critics out there that say like, who, whose business would be, you know, um, would be making so much less than that. Well, I had a client who had been on maternity leave, um, finally got childcare and started a personal training business in 2019, but near the latter half. So had all of these expenses, um, because there was like equipment and, and a branding and all of this stuff, like startup costs or whatever. And, you know, income was good, but only for the latter half of the year. So it wasn't there. This, the, they only had, she only had, you know, $8,000 worth of gross income and that's the sales. So like your total, your total income before all of your deductions. So she got paid $8,000 total in 2019. Um, and so as far as the $5,000 of gross income, like she qualified, right? However, she also had more like $4,000 worth of expenses. So her net income from business, from self-employment in 2019 was less than 5,000 because for anyone who doesn't know, if she had $8,000 worth of gross income and then subtracted off those $4,000 worth of expenses, well, then she only has $4,000 of net self-employment income. And that is the difference between gross income from self-employment and net income from self-employment. And so someone who, who was on both sides, who straddled that line, had a lot to lose by being specific about $5,000 worth of income. And so what was happening in 
spring of 2020 was it said $5,000 worth of income. Right. It didn't specify. And so I remember that. I actually took screenshots of it because I was so nervous about, <laughs> about what that meant. But it was such a, quote, rapidly evolving situation mm-hmm. that um, often I would say, you know, call the CRA and get them to tell you because this is unclear. And, I, and I'm, I'm so nervous that if you apply and it ends up being net that you won't be eligible. And so, you know, this particular client even had somebody from the CRA say that it was, it was gross. And so what happened was in, so obviously she applied and then got this letter at the end of 2020 that said, well, you owe this all back $14,000. Like, thanks. <laughs> you owe yeah. it all back. Um, panicked, right? Panicked. Turns out the CRA completely in early February of this year of 2021, they said, listen, we were unclear at the time. And there was actually even some agents who had um, the wrong information that were in fact confirming that it was gross when it was supposed to be net. And don't, we're going to, we're going to make it gross and we're going to make it okay. So that she's off the hook and anybody that was in that specific situation is off the hook. But what happened as a result of that is that a lot of people Um, you know, they just heard that in the news. And then all of a sudden, even if they were nowhere near being in that situation, it just bred panic. And I think there was also a lot of underlining panic in 2020 about that thousand dollars of working income, like whether or not you're allowed to work or not. Um, Because again, you can't have earned more than a thousand dollars in employment or self-employment income for the 14 days that you were, um, that you were working. And so, there was a lot of people saying, well, what if I earned a thousand and ten dollars? Like, am I gonna mm-hmm. am I gonna have to pay that back? And the answer is yes. And so that's where that that's where that anxiety comes from. So that is a brief overview of CERB. And there were lots of these government programs uh, beyond that. And I know we can't get into uh, each and every one of them, but maybe explain to me a little bit about some of the tax season, Uh, challenges and questions you're getting from people who own small businesses and may have qualified and used, you know, the wage subsidy as well as the rent subsidy. And they might have a long list of programs uh, that they used and and they're trying to figure out what that all means now. Right. And so if you are on, they're taxable. So long and short of it is that um, the benefits that you may have received if you're, let's say like incorporated, Um, and you had um, staff on payroll, and you qualified for the emergency wage subsidy, which was the program that could uh, subsidize up to 75% of wages, Um, that's going to go in as revenue on your your taxes and your business. And also, there was also a 10% reduction in the early, early days of last year of any of your source deductions. And source deductions are like what you send the CRA for um, CBP and for EI and all that kind of stuff. So there was a little bit of help there. And that deduction is also going to be considered um, taxable. And that's a tricky one because I, I, most people had to, you know, at the time calculate it at themselves or get their bookkeeper to calculate it. Um, it wasn't like, whereas with uh, wage subsidy, um, the application process that you had to fill out a document, a form, and then it was like, here's what you're eligible for. And then there's this big chunk of money that lands in your account. It's easier to track than say what you didn't pay the government versus what came into your account. Um, and so those are going to be taxable programs. They are not HST or GST liable, which is, uh, so, you know, as a business owner, you have three taxes to worry about. If you're, if you're incorporated, you have 
sales tax, which is HST, GST. You have your corporate taxes, which is what happens within your corporation on your you know, net profit. And then you also have your personal income taxes, which is whatever you've taken out of the company. And so those programs will be taxable as far as your corporation, like your corporate taxes go, but not for HST and GST. So that is a wide angle picture of, you know, the overall uh, benefits that pertain to your income. But I also wanted to ask you about something that that I've been asked about a lot uh, and I've wondered about myself, which is what am I eligible for that I've never been before because for the first time ever, I wasn't working in an office all year. You know, I haven't been back into my office since March of last year. I've spent a lot of money on uh, this crappy little studio I set up, Shannon. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Maybe I'll speak to those who are about being self-employed first. So people who are self-employed, one of the benefits was always that the home office might have been up for grabs as far as a deduction in your business income. So again, that's that you you calculate out um, a certain percentage of your home, and so you do that based on the um, size of your workspace, and then also the the time or the percentage of time that you use that space as your workspace versus um, versus like a personal for your personal time, and then whatever that percentage is, you add up all of your you know your housing bills as far as you know um, if you pay rent like what you paid in, in rent that year, your your gas, your hydro, your utilities, that kind of stuff. Tally it all up for the year, and then whatever that percentage is, you you apply it, and then that becomes your deduction. So, for example, I'm just going to use round numbers for easy, easy math. Let's say that everything that you paid for your house was $10,000 for the year. That included your portion of rent and some utilities. And then you, you, you felt that you know you could write off your 20% of, um, of the time between your square footage and the fact that you always work out of your home and you see clients there or whatever, 20% was for business, then you would just apply that and say, okay, well, I have $10,000 of annual expenses, 20% of the time it's for business, and therefore I have a $2,000 deduction on my um, sole proprietor or my self-employment income taxes. That's how that works. And that's always been that way. That has nothing to do with um, the pandemic. Now, employees don't normally have a home office deduction or expense available to them unless their employer specifically mandates that they work from home. And like, again, pre-pandemic, um, which was very rare. I saw, you know, maybe a couple of these every year. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, all that kind of changed because most people were mandated to work from home. And so employee, this is the specific line from the CRA. So employees who work from home more than 50% of the time over a period of at least four consecutive weeks in 2020 due to COVID-19 will now be eligible to claim the home office expense deduction for 2020. That is a direct quote. And so that is pretty exciting for most people that had to do that. So this is what you're talking about. And there's new ways of doing it. Explain the new ways of doing it then, because um, for me, as somebody who has been lucky enough uh, to have an office job for the last decade. This is all new to me. And so I will warn you before you uh, get into it, and I'm sure you've heard this from other people who are new at this, is is I don't have the receipt for the desk I bought or uh, the laptop stand or any of that stuff. And I'm sure there's lots of people in that boat. Uh, that's right. And so there's not all, it's hard to say like as far as like the expenses that you can claim and whether or not um, the actual desk that you bought necessarily counts. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Let's start first with the new temporary flat rate method. And um, this is getting a lot of hype because it is um, an easy way if you don't have any, you know, receipts, you didn't keep anything, but you do qualify. And 
especially if you're a homeowner, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, what this says is basically, okay, up to 200 days in all of 2020, if you qualified for that and your employer is willing to like say that, yes, you had to work from home for at least 200 days of 2020, then you can just put a flat rate on your taxes uh, to, and it's $2 a day, which means you immediately, without any receipts or anything, um, as long as your employee will sign off saying that that you did that, like, and it's they have to sign off on a form like a a T seven 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 S. It's it's on the CRA website. Um, then you can put that into your taxes and immediately get a four hundred dollar deduction with with no effort, as a, no receipts, nothing, no tracking, no coming up with a with a, a home office space, no coming up with um, you know square footage or or anything like that. And so that's a really that's really cool because what I'm actually noticing is there's a big difference between um, salaried employees and commission employees and what they can and can't deduct under the detailed method. Now the detailed method is much closer to the old school method of employment expenses and closer to um, the big example I had given before about a self employment where you kind of add up a bunch of things and then apply a percentage to it. Mm-hmm. And so. I think people are applying the things that you can write off as a self-employed person and they're, they're not the same. And so, okay, things that I'm just going to list off of a, a couple of things. So if you're a salaried employee, you can add up the annual bills for your electricity, your heat, um, like water, utilities, that kind of thing, or even um, like within your condominium fees. Um, you, your internet, which is very exciting because I know a lot of people um, really doubled down on their home internet uh, to make it go faster and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like this is this is where I think it gets uh, not gray, but like I think this is where there's a lot of questions around like what is considered repair and maintenance? What is considered minor repairs? Like so if you set up a work desk, like what are the bills from Home Depot? Does that count at like for like, you know, just like making a makeshift desk area? Does that count? Um, and then also if you paid rent, that would count too. So if you're an, if you're a salaried employee, those are the things that you can add up for the full year. And then you come up with that percentage and you can put it in there. And again, your employer has to be like, they have to agree to this. So um, the employer can sign off on um, like form T2200S and they will be able to like, so you want to make sure that you have that and you're sending it into your, like in case you're, you ever get asked for it. And I do think that people are going to be asked for this. I I really do think that it might be looked into maybe a long time from now, but um, you want to make sure that you're not doing anything that, that is offside when it comes to this. And then, so I think what's important to note here is like, what's not write-offable. So your home insurance, no dice. Property tax, no dice. Um, If you like had like a computer, laptops, um, anything like that is no dice unless you're a commission employee. So this is why I have found that people who rent tend to love this detailed method because the big amount that they spend on rent qualifies as one of those annual expenses right. but people who are homeowners you can't write off the interest on your mortgage you can't write off the home insurance you can't write off the property taxes you can't do any of the equipment so like it's it's actually quite limiting um for for homeowners um because it's really just your utilities and your internet and like maybe some like minor repairs and i think that it's um really important to, to know that like uh furniture is not it doesn't count either. Um, and so that's for both commission employee and salary. So if you have bought a desk, that doesn't, it doesn't count, unfortunately. And like any sort of, any sort of repair that would be considered, um, like a capital expense, like something that's like 
it, like improving the value of your house, like windows or like new floors or something. And I'm going to break a lot of hearts here to anyone listening. Also, anything that you bought to put on your wall to make it beautiful doesn't count either. <laughs> so wait, a, what about my soundproofing panels for this closet? Right. I know. And so like, like, that's an interesting question. Like, I, I actually think that you should get um, some customized advice on that because I think that it's going to be like the like is that considered a capital improvement or is that considered a repair so that's why people are really confused about all this this tax season yeah it's very this part is the most confusing piece of tax season is what counts because people had to go to great lengths depending on their industry and their job like i didn't have to put soundproof paneling into a closet but you do and so and and is that's not really improving the value of your home as a capital expense were but would it be considered furniture or wall or wall decoration in which case we can't or would it be considered you know a minor improvement that was mandatory for like a repair almost that was mandatory for employment. And I think it really comes down to somebody making that judgment call. Last question. What is one general piece of advice that you would give to people who are planning to sit down uh, and either do their taxes or work with someone else to do their taxes uh, over the next three or four weeks? Because like we mentioned off the top, it can feel intimidating. It totally can this year. Um, I would say that the, the, the easiest part is the if you if you were on CERB or CRB, you're going to get a T4A, and that's that. It's paint by numbers. It is not confusing as far as if you file your own taxes or, you know, what to expect from it. You're just going to pay your marginal taxes on it. Um, if you're incorporated, you're probably not doing your own taxes. Your accountant and your bookkeeper will be able to take care of that. They'll know what to do. They'll be adding in those programs properly. Um, so again, you're probably in good hands there. It's really where I think that. Um, the customized advice piece is, is just to what we were just talking about. Is like, do I use the detailed? Do I use the flat? And if I'm using the detailed, what counts and what doesn't count depending on, on your situation. And, uh, and I think that's where if you feel like you're in a unique situation where you want to do the detailed method, you really feel like you're going to get a bigger deduction than the $400 flat rate because of various expenses that you think should qualify. I think that that is a person that you might want to reach out and get some help this year. Otherwise, besides that specific and very unique situation, I think a lot of this is a mental game and it's just one more piece of new information. And I think our brains are all just at like their wits end with rapidly evolving situations. And I, I, but I do think that if normally you are a fairly confident person when it came to tax time, like you've put put money aside, you know how to do your, if you're doing it yourself and you feel pretty confident, like you know, you shouldn't shy away and be scared. Like, Oh, I have to get someone this year. Like if you, if you feel pretty confident that you know what you're doing, then, then that's okay. And the other thing I would say is like, um, there is relief for anybody who's on one of the government programs last year, like CERB or CRB. Um, if you owe taxes, they've waived interest on late penalties for a year. So if you owe taxes that you can't pay right away, it's interest-free until April 30th of 2022. And so just take a big breath and you can work out a payment plan over the next year if you don't have that money aside from like the taxes that you might owe on CERB or CRB. Um, And I thought that that was like really great that they're going to do that because um, I do know that that is going to relieve a lot of tension that it has to be in and due by April 30th. Like you still have to file by April 30th, but you don't necessarily have to pay whatever that amount is back by then with interest, without interest. That is a very relieving note to end on. Thank you for all this advice, Shannon. It's much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Shannon Lee Simmons of the New School of Finance. 
That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca if you have not taken our audience survey there. What are you waiting for? There's a tote bag in it for you, maybe, if you're lucky. You can also find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us, TheBigStoryPodcast, that's all one word, at rci.rogers.com. We are in every podcast player you can imagine. You can also ask your Amazon device just to play The Big Story Podcast, and you'll get it. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and as always, if you like it, tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.